Good morning. My name is David Rudy, and I am the church planner in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I just want to publicly thank Pastor Johnny for just opening up the pulpit again. I was, I was here just a few weeks ago, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and it's great to be back so soon. It's been a blessing to get to know some of you. And the support that your church is giving us is really and truly an answer to prayer. It's been a godsend for us. My wife, Julie, is here, and we're just, just thrilled to be a part of this church family and looking forward to getting to know you in the months ahead. Well, here we are, December 31st, the last day of 2017. Tomorrow, we have a new year. 2018 is staring us in the face. How many of you have a New Year's resolution ready to go? Anyone out there have a New Year's resolution? Yeah, OK, I see one. One New Year's resolution? OK, there's a couple more. That's good. I always try to have at least one New Year's resolution. And I have to say, it's, it's not usually one of my greatest things uh, as far as keeping those New Year's resolutions. They can be pretty hard to keep sometimes. Can anyone else relate, relate with me? Maybe that's why no one's doing it anymore. They just said, <laughs> forget this. I, I'm done feeling bad about myself. Well, I actually did some research on this because I was interested. I mean, am I the only one who always fails at my New Year's resolution? And in Forbes magazine, they had an article about this. They did some research. And actually, the University of Scranton did, a, did an in-depth research on this. And apparently, there's more to Scranton, Pennsylvania than Dunler Mifflin, all right? The University of Scranton had their research. And they said that only 8% of people fulfill their New Year's resolutions. That means 92% of people fail at it. All right, that's, that's a lot of people that, that don't work, that their New Year's resolution just doesn't work out. Well, I don't want to discourage you from making a New Year's resolution because that's the last thing you need to worry about. We're not here because of the University of Scranton's research. We're not here to listen to Forbes. We're not here to even become a better person in 2018. What we're here to do is to hear from God's word, all right? And we're here to hear his divinely inspired truth that has relevance for your life right now. And not just today, not just 2018, but for the rest of your life. And what you have to know is that in Christ, all things are becoming new. The old has passed away and all things are becoming new. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 17, the verse I just mentioned. In verse 17 really is a central verse. It's really kind of the hub of this whole chapter. And we're going to break down this verse. There's really four key phrases in verse 17. And after we see those four phrases, we have a real understanding of what is going on. We're then going to actually look at three specific points on having a new life in Christ. So again, forget resolutions. This, this isn't something you're trying to achieve. This is actually reality. The reality is that in Christ, the past is gone and all things are becoming new. You have to know that. You have to believe that to live that. So look at verse 17. Let's read it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ. There's the first phrase. Phrase number one, if anyone is in Christ. So who's this for? Anyone. Thank you. <laughs> anyone. It doesn't matter if you're a skeptic, if you're a believer, if you're new to the faith and you're trying to figure out, you're here today maybe, and you're just trying to figure out if this is for you. Like, is this something I need to be a part of? Do I really fit? The answer is yes. Jesus' reach is for 
anyone, anyone who puts their faith in their trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his death, his resurrection, they are in Christ and they are a new creation. All right. And the, and the new is come. Jesus Christ died for all. The next, the two key words there in this first phrase, though, that I want us to look at are in Christ. Very powerful words. They're very dense words. They actually, those two words appear 25 times throughout the New Testament. And it would honestly just be a tragedy if I skimmed over those. Because in Christ packs a powerful punch. To be in Christ means you belong to Christ. When Jesus saves an individual, he saves them from their sin. And all who believe have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. If you are in Christ, you're no longer your own. You belong to him and you are his. The second truth behind these two words is now that you belong to Christ, you have access to the power of Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells you and you have his power inside of you. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you hear that? It's not your own willpower. It's not your own strength anymore. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And then the third aspect of just being in Christ, the third distinction is that you're now part of the body of Christ. You're not just saved individually, but you're in the entire family of God. You're not just just an individual. You're on this really great team that's doing something way bigger that you could never accomplish on your own. If anyone is in Christ, and here's phrase number two, you are a new creation. A new creation. I love this. This is so beautiful. But because we are Westerners, all right, we're people in the Western hemisphere, we're going to individually, when we hear you are made new, we're going to immediately just Take that and personally, like individually say, yeah, I'm made new. All right, great. We're going to individualize that because that's just kind of the way Western people work. But if you take a closer look at this text, this is where it gets really interesting. That's actually not all Paul is saying here. Stick with me. Because everywhere else in the New Testament, when Paul uses the word creation, it's not actually in relation to an individual. It's grander in scope. It's more cosmic. In Galatians 6.15, in Revelation 21.5, it's not limited to a person, but it's extended to the total environment of that person. The thing that makes this even more confusing is that some translations, in an attempt just to make this more readable, they will actually add the pronoun he in, right there in that, in that second phrase. If anyone is in Christ from the first phrase, he is a new creation. But in the original text, there is no he there. It's just there is a new creation. Now, this is the ESV that I'm preaching from. There's a lot of great translations. I'm not saying it's a bad translation. I'm not saying it's even an incorrect translation. I'm just saying there's actually more there if you don't try to make it more readable by adding the word he. If you just stick with the literal version of there is a new creation, it opens up this idea that, yes, I am individually made new. And also, I'm a part of all that God is doing, making all things new. Pastor Matt Chandler actually says this about this verse. The right reading of this text is that if anyone be in Christ, 
He is now a part of what God is doing in making all things new. You and I have been invited into God's process of recreating, reforming, and resetting all of creation back to the glory of what it was like before sin fractured it. Think about that. How much, more, how much better is that to say that, hey, you're no longer just new. OK, that's true. So stop getting drunk. Stop looking at porn. You're a new person. That's true. But it's, there's more punch when it says you're now part of all that God is doing. You're playing a role in his master plan to recreate this world and to make all things new. I think that's amazing. When you, when you distill it down to just some sort of individual component, you rob it of the glory and the expanse of what is actually going on. Paul is trying to get yourself, he's trying to get you off of you and onto all that he's doing. Now on to phrase three, the old has passed away. There's nothing confusing about this. This is as simple as it gets. Past tense, the old has passed away. It's gone. It's gone. There's nothing that we have to worry about with our past because God has erased it under the blood of Jesus Christ. Psalm 103 says, God has taken our sins and scattered them as far as the east is from the west. That's gone. All right, well, how far is the east is from the west? Well, Micah 7 says that God takes our sin and he's buried it in the depths of the sea. But here, I'll do you one better because doesn't God know the distance from the east to the west? And doesn't, can't God see into the bottom of the deepest sea? Yeah, he can. Well, Hebrews 8 says that God chooses not to remember our sins and iniquities. Our sins and our iniquities, he will remember no more. So even if he knows where it is, he's never going to bring it up again. He's never going to bring our past to his mind. It's, it's over. In his mind, it's finished. So no matter where you put it, God's not going to go back and get it. Let go of that shame and regret. If it's under the blood of Jesus in God's eyes, it's gone. Amen. Amen to that. And here's the fourth phrase. Behold, the new has come. The tense here just conveys ongoing results. Okay, this isn't just like a one-time new thing that you get, like a new pair of shoes. Okay, great, I got a new pair of shoes. And then a week later, it gets a scuff on it. And then a couple weeks in, yeah, they're kind of nicked up now. They're not really new shoes anymore, right? Well, this, this, is, this ongoing tense means it just keeps on having a new, new and new results. So it's like you're getting a new pair of shoes every day. But even that would get boring after a while. So how about getting a better pair of shoes like every day? In a sense, that's what God is doing when he is making all things new. He's doing that through us in our own spiritual, individual walk with Christ. And he's doing that with the people in the, in the, in the context that we have around us, in the whole cosmic creation around us. He's making all things new. The implications of this are still arriving. And it's going to continue until we, until we are reunited with our Savior in heaven for eternity. Now, for the rest of the sermon this morning, I want us to now spread our, our focus to the rest of chapter 5. Okay, we, we just sunk down in verse 17. You see what's happening in verse 17. The rest of this chapter actually talks more about becoming new. Are all these elements just going to click into place overnight? 
Well, of course not. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that unfortunately this just doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It's a process. There's ups and there's downs. But we're going to see three specific new realities of being in Christ. Three ways that you are becoming new through Jesus Christ. In Christ, the past is gone. All things are becoming new. So how can you live that out? Look at verse 11. The first thing here is, in Christ, have a new outlook on humanity. In Christ, have a new outlook on humanity. Look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about the outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. What we are is known to God. Verse 11, God knows you. You can't ever forget that. Verse 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If your sin is under the blood, if you've repented and believed, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ that's imputed to your account. Doesn't matter what other people see in you. Doesn't matter what you see in yourself. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's part of your new creation. You are new, and part of your new outlook on humanity means that you don't look at yourself the same way. You have to understand your identity. You have to understand that. Think about a Marine for a minute here. A Marine, strong, peak physical condition, brave, mental sharpness. They've been highly trained, skilled. A Marine is, an, is, is awesome, right? Well, what if the Marine, like Jason Bourne, just got amnesia and he forgot who he was? He forgot his mission. He forgot everything about what he was meant to do. He would be half the man that he really could be, right? There was a, there'd be a lot of things that he would not be able to pull off because he just didn't know his identity. That's the same way we are with our spiritual identity in Christ. If you underestimate, underestimate your gifts, if you, if you just focus on your past and your shame and, and the fact that you can't get over a sin and you don't rely on the power of Christ that indwells in you, you're not going to live out your full potential and all that God wants to do through you as a new creation. Child of God, don't lose sight of who you are in Jesus. Who you are is known to God. He has a plan for your life. And don't minimize your gifts and your talents for his kingdom. But it's not just our view of ourself that is becoming new. Becoming new means that we have a new outlook on all of humanity. And also in verse 11, it says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So now you care about something that you didn't care about before. You have a new goal in life. And that's to share your faith, share your testimony, what Jesus has done for you, and to persuade others that, hey, you can have freedom from your old bondage. You can have freedom from this sin if you find new life in Jesus Christ. In 2018, one of the challenges I think you need to make and have upon yourself is, I'm going to witness to more people. 
I'm going to share more about what I have seen and what I have heard and that I can testify about what Jesus has done in my own life. This, is, this could be something you just do in a one-time conversation with someone at the supermarket. This could be somebody that you know, maybe, maybe just a casual relationship uh, with somebody at, the, at a coffee shop, a barista at a coffee shop. I mean, it could be a myriad of different people, different ways. But pray about having someone and having multiple people that you can testify to and you can witness to. Do you think God would answer that prayer if you prayed for someone specifically to witness to and and for an open door to share your faith? You better believe God will answer that prayer. There's no way he would say no to that prayer, at least for long. I mean, he's going to quickly send you someone to witness to. So now that we're in Christ, we have a new outlook on ourselves. We have this new outlook on people. We want to witness to them. We want to share what's happened to us. And also in verse 12, in the second half of verse 12, new outlook in humanity means it's not about the outward appearance anymore. It doesn't matter what that person looks like. It doesn't matter how much money that person makes. It doesn't matter if they look like you. It just doesn't matter. Are they attractive? Who cares? God loves them, so we should too. We don't need to boast on the outward appearance. As a Christian, Do you know how you can stand out and make a difference in your community? One of the easiest ways to stand out and make a difference is by simply loving the unloved. It's by by not judging people based on how they look, on their outward appearance, but saying, hey, you know what? God loves that person. Jesus died for that person. He he saved me, so I'm going to go ahead and love them too. That is a surefire way for you to stand out because honestly, not a lot of people are doing that. Most people, most people are just, hey, you know, that person could benefit me. This, this would elevate my status. Don't boast on the outward appearance. It's one of the easiest, most effective ways to be different for Christ and make an impact in your community. In Christ, you have a new outlook on humanity. The second new reality of being in Christ is found in verses 13 through 16. In Christ, have a new consuming passion. Look at verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is exciting right here. A new consuming passion. Do you see in verse 14 what the effect of the love of Christ is on the individual? What is the affecting result of the love of Christ in verse 14? It controls us. It controls us. Some translations say, say constrain us. Uh, That that word syneco means to hold together with constraint. So whether your translation says compel or control, the idea here is really, if you think about it, it's like a vice. And and I'm reading a biography right now of a man named David Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a pastor in the first half of the 20th century in Wales and in London, just an awesome man of God. Uh, He used this verse, verse 14, and one of the key verses, influential verses in his life. 
of like, I'm in a vice and the love of Christ is just pressing me on both sides and it's compelling me to do something about it. I, I have this new consuming passion. Jesus loves me and it's changed the way I look at life. It's changed the way I interact with people. It's changed the way I talk to my family. It changes how I spend my time. The love of Christ controls me. When you are so consumed with the love of Christ, you just have to do something about it. And look at verse 13. You're beside yourself for God. People look at you and they're like, are you okay? It's like, you're not even the same person anymore. Like, you're all about Jesus here. And you could say like, well, yeah, I can see why you would think that because, yeah, right, I, I have different passions. I have different goals. Like there's, there's a new mission about my life right now. So I can understand why you would ask that. In Christ, you have a new consuming passion. And verse 15 says something else. And this is really just flat out offensive to people who, are, who don't know the love of Christ. Look at verse 15. What's so offensive about that? Verse 15 says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died and was raised. This is implying that if you're not living for Jesus, you're living for yourself. Well, what do you mean I'm living for myself? I do all kinds of things for my family, for other people. I serve the community. I do, I do things for, my, for others. And furthermore, it's offensive to think that I should be in a vice grip for Jesus. That sounds weird to me. If you haven't experienced the love of Jesus, you're not going to know what we're talking about here. This is a perfect example of how Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes our passions, and he gives us a new consuming passion. The love of Christ is so overwhelming that when we truly grasp it, we can't help but do something about it. We just can't help it. The patience and the loving kindness of God just masks everything else. Everything else pales in comparison to who he is and what he's done for us. What you thought used to be a sacrifice for someone else was really just the way that you were, you know, making yourself feel better about yourself or maybe even advancing yourself. I know it's kind of a morbid way to look at it, but it all kind of goes back to Numero uno, in the end. And that's not just unsaved people, people who don't know Christ. That's, that's Christians too. So we have to become new. We have to get over ourselves, stop living for ourselves, and we have to gradually grow into this process of a new creation where we're not living for our, our own selfish interests anymore. We're living for Jesus Christ. I know it's not pleasant to hear, but it's what we need to start changing. And look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. This one sums up what we're talking about. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So don't look at people according to the flesh. Don't look at them as just another face in the crowd. They have an eternal soul that's going to live somewhere forever. We can't look at people just as people. We have a, we have a mission. God, God has put us in their lives for a reason. Don't regard people according to the flesh. 
Uh, do you know an easy way to do this? One of the easiest ways you can just stop regarding people according to the flesh is to just think about who you were before you knew Christ. If you, I mean, I know I told you to like put the past, the past is gone, but not in a negative way. Just think about who you were when you were living for yourself, when you were, when you were trying to figure out life, you were trying to figure out some method to the madness out there, and you didn't really have a savior or someone you could hold on to. People who don't know Christ are in that same place. So remember where you came from. It'll change the way you look at them. I was at Starbucks a couple weeks back, and I ordered an Americano. Americano is just hot water and espresso, really simple drink, all right? And she made my drink, and she poured about five ounces of Brevet in there just half and half. So I take a sip and wow, that's just a lot of cream. It's the cream is overpowering my coffee. I used to work at Starbucks. So I know, you know, how easy it is to mess up drinks. I remember when I was first a barista and had all these drinks to memorize and all these recipes. I guarantee you, I messed up a lot of people's drinks. It was, it was ugly sometimes. So instead of just like looking at that girl and saying, hey, just remake my drink. It's, this is terrible. I remembered what it was like to be in that place. Because I remembered what it was like to be there, I looked at her differently. And it was, it was no big deal. I, I've made those same mistakes. In our spiritual life, we have to realize that to not look at people, not to get frustrated at people. I mean, that coworker can be annoying, right? That family member who's just all over the place, they can be a little frustrating. But remember what you were like before Christ found you and don't regard them according to the flesh. Think about their eternal destiny. Think about the fact that you have a role to play in helping them find Christ. In Christ, have a new outlook on humanity. In Christ, have a new consuming passion. And here we are, full circle, back to verse 17. In Christ, have freedom from the past. In Christ, the old is gone and all things are becoming new. And look at verse 17. Let's just read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. It's, it's, it's happening. It's a process. It's arriving. It's still getting here. But it is happening in our lives. One of the biggest hurdles for this is honestly sometimes just to have, have a short-term memory. Just forget about the past. And I realized that for those of us who came to Christ at a later age, this is a lot harder. There's scars and there's baggage there that you carry if you came to Christ as, as an adult or just later in life that, that thankfully you don't have if you came to Christ as a child. So for some people, this is a lot harder. But I like to think of it like, like just uh, the game of golf, all right? Anybody play golf in here? We're in North Carolina. There's a lot of great golf courses. If you see a few golfers, I mean, when you're, when you're golfing and say you have a bad shot, so you're like standing in the sand trap or you're in the woods and you got your next shot, you're in trouble. If you're thinking, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, this is terrible. I'm, I'm losing my lead and I'm choking this hole away. And, and you're thinking about what was I doing wrong on that last shot? Do you know what's going to happen on your next shot? You're going to be in another sand trap or you're going to be back in the woods. You, you have to block out the past. In golf, you have to focus on what's going on right now and what do I need to do to change that for the future, focusing on that individual next shot. 
In your spiritual life, you have to have a short-term memory. You can't dwell on the shame and the regret and the mistakes you made. Remember, God chooses not to remember them. Remember, it's as far as the east is from the west. It's in the depths of the bottomless sea. It's gone in God's eyes. So don't let it trip you up. Don't stumble over that anymore. Have freedom from the past. There's five reasons why people get just stuck in the past. I mean, these probably aren't the only reasons, but there's five big reasons why people get stuck in the past. I just want to quickly address those. Think about this. Is there, is there any one of these that, that, that relate to you, that, that is holding you back? Five reasons people get stuck in the past. Unresolved conflicts. Sometimes we can't resolve every conflict and it's just not even on us. It's on, it's on the other person. If you can't resolve it and you've done everything you can do, you have to let that go. Number two, fear based on past trauma. We live in a sinful, dark, sin-cursed world. And there's trauma, all right? And there's also abuse. The, the third one is shame based on past abuse. These things go hand in hand. You have to give that over to God. And you have to trust him that he's going to make it new. That, it's, that, that he doesn't look at you any differently because that happened. So you shouldn't either. Number four is unresolved grief. Again, I mean, I don't have to elaborate on this. We live in a sinful, sin-cursed world. People die. There's pain. There's suffering. Unresolved grief. It takes time to get over things. But we can do it through Christ a whole lot easier than we can do it through our own strength. Number five, bitterness. Bitterness. That's what happens. When we don't get over the past, we get bitter. Don't let those things affect you in 2018. Don't let those things affect you for the rest of your life. There's beauty in this passage. In Christ, the past is gone. All things are becoming new. All things are becoming new. Moving forward in Christ means living with a new perspective. The forgive and forgive. We choose to forgive and reconcile when possible because God forgave us. In Christ, God forgave us. So why shouldn't we forgive others? Shame was shattered at the cross. We are not defined by what happened to us. Rather, we're defined by what Christ did for us. Those who mourn will be comforted. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. Instead, cry out to God, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. He is there for you. That's good news. In Christ, you have the grace to forgive and the power to overcome. So where do you need to put the past in its place in 2018? Are there areas in your life that are just holding you back? Is there some baggage that you need to get rid of this year, starting right now? Think about that for a minute. What do you need to change in 2018 to not re repeat the mistakes and the pain for 2018? What things in your life, what decisions, what, what, what schedule, what, uh, what relationship needs to change to not, to not repeat all that same suffering? And this is better. Here we go. What gift and ability do you have that God will use in your life 
to help make all things new. Remember, this isn't just individual. You're part of God's team now. You're in the family of God. He's using you to make all things new. So what can you bring to the table? What do you have to offer? If you know Jesus, you've been given spiritual gifts. You have gifts and resources and talents. You have a street to occupy that's unique only to you. And you can contribute. You can do that. In 2018, instead of making a New Year's resolution, how about we make a new creation resolution? Do you like that? Doesn't that sound a lot better than just going to the gym in the month of January? A new creation resolution? In Christ, you have a new outlook on humanity. In Christ, you have a new consuming passion. And in Christ, there is freedom from the past. Praise Jesus. Let's look at verse 18. In closing, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 